children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. Uh, if you grab your Bible, um, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to read uh, starting in verse 27 of chapter 8. We're going to spend another week, uh, possibly two, looking at, at, at Romans 8, 28, and how uh, this scripture says that all things work together for good. And so um, I feel... As I've said before, that this is a promise in Scripture that uh, can be overlooked or disrespected, perhaps, because of, of the way in which it is applied, the way that people use it. And so, uh, as Christians, we are called to trust and believe in all of God's Word. And that means that that's something that we might be tempted to dismiss because of the way that others have used it, we need to build a deep foundation on, because I believe this is one of the preeminent and most important promises in the scripture. Uh, one that can sustain us and lead us through many difficulties and many uh, pains. So it's important just to say, we believe this. This is what the scriptures say in Romans chapter eight, verse 27. The scriptures say, he who search, searches hearts and minds knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our time in his word. Father, we come before you asking that you would speak to us plainly from your word. Difficult circumstances don't call up and arrange a convenient time to meet. They just show up. They intrude. They break in. And so we pray as we come to this topic of how all things work for our good, we ask that you would teach us from your word. We are told that you gave us your son. That whoever puts their faith in Jesus, all of their sins can be canceled out and all of his righteousness can be given to us. And we believe as Christians that that is the basis of our salvation. But sometimes we then look at our circumstances and we look at difficulty and we think that suffering cannot be good that you can't use it for our good. We think that temptation cannot be good and that you cannot use it for our good. And we have seen that that is not true as we've looked through the scriptures. And now we come to this issue of 
being alone in the middle of difficult times. And we may say the lack of your presence felt strongly cannot be good. But the scriptures say that all things work together for good. And so even times, seasons of of difficulty and, and dryness and alienation from you work for our good. Father, I pray that we would hold fast to the scriptures and hold fast to the truth that in times of difficulty, we might have a map to lead us on. That in times of struggle and darkness, we might have a light and a help and a friend. And so we ask that you would speak to us now from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you have had a similar Experience. I, I think this is a, one of the, the most shocking and scary experiences that, that, that happened a few times when I was a kid. Um, uh, my, my mom, I wouldn't describe her as a helicopter parent, you know, like always hovering over what I'm doing. Uh, part of that, I think, was just her nature that she gave me a little bit of freedom. Part of it was that I was not exactly the kind of kid you could constantly hover over. Um, always moving, always active. Uh, there, there were times when we would be out shopping, we would be at the mall, and I would be wandering through the clothing sections and hiding in the racks of clothes. You know, have you ever, you ever done that where you're in the middle and you've got all the clothes around you and you're like, I am in a cave. You're not. You're like at, at a clothing store. But using your imagination, you feel like you're there. And emerging from this little cave and walking over to my mom, I realized that the person that I think is my mom is not my mom. And she is gone. Where? And now, suddenly, I am completely and utterly alone. Does this this ring a bell for anybody? You suddenly realize, like, I have become separated from my my flock. I think the only thing worse than this, right, is growing up and being a parent and realizing that it is your kid that you have lost track of, right? And you're like, wait a minute, I counted them over and over and over. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And now all of a sudden, I've only got three. Where is the missing one, right? That feeling of abandonment or loneliness, right, of, of, of being completely alone can be overwhelming. It, it can be fear-inducing. It can cause panic and, and stress. Now, we always told our kids, like, if you lose us, it's fine. Just go and find somebody dressed in a uniform or scream a lot and we'll eventually catch up with you. Like, just keep making noise and we'll find you. Um, but but that, that, that feeling of, of panic can rise up in us when we realize that we are alone. Now, I think that culturally speaking, we have become much more fragile as a people today because we carry these little boxes around with us and we are constantly connected to everybody that we know. Right? If there's a sudden interruption of service, right? If, if the networks go down or the Wi-Fi breaks, suddenly we are alone in the world. Now, this is the way my life operated for the first 26 years of my life, right? Before I actually owned a phone, 
you know? And it, when I got one, it was a Nokia little block thing that had no internet on it. Um, but we have grown accustomed to thinking that we are always connected to everyone. And we've grown accustomed to having continuous access to services, to connection with other people, right? Have you had this experience with, with the power where when the power goes out, you stand there and you're like, I'll just flip the switch. And then you, you think, all right, the power's out. And then you turn to walk away and do something and you realize you can't see. And so you, instinctively you think, I'll just flick it again. This has happened, right? We, we are accustomed to constant, continuous service. We are accustomed to everything always working. And we've not been trained to think in natural categories. Out there in the world, right, it is summer, and then it will be autumn, and then winter, and then spring again. The world follows a rhythm and a pattern. As Christians, we tend to think, I believe, nowadays, more mechanically about our relationship with God. If I do the right things, there will always be this perfect, steady relationship with God. If I fulfill my obligations to God, then everything will be fine in my life. If I show up at church on Sunday, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I do these things, then everything will be right. And what we have lost is a sense of what we can find in the scriptures, that there are times of absence, that there are seasons that we go through where our souls feel dry. The scripture describes some of these as going through valleys. There are places in scripture where God withdraws himself. We sung a hymn this morning uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And there is a line in that song that says, when darkness seems to hide his face. What is our natural reaction when we think, I can't see God right now. I don't feel a connection. I feel like my circumstances in my life or this situation is out of control. We tend to immediately think I have done something wrong or God is not holding up his end of the bargain. And we can't, we, we, have, we have not been trained as Christians, I believe, to think of the fact that there are times where we will feel or experience this kind of separation from God. Because we're used to having uninterrupted service, right? Ten years ago, whoever conceived of the fact that we would one day be able to binge watch television shows whenever we, we wanted, they now release a, a season of a TV show on a, an online streaming platform where you can watch all of it all at once, right? Years and years ago, I, I got the DVDs in the mail, the TV show Lost, right? I was obsessed with that show. 
and season one disc arrived, right? And Nancy came home from some event and she's like, oh, what are you watching? And I said, I will watch the first two episodes of the show again with you if you watch the remainder of them with me. Like, we have to watch the entire disc. And then, when we were done with that disc, I had to put the disc in the mail and mail it back to Netflix and get another disc. I had to wait, right? And, and, and I was... I was wondering. And then we watched all of season one and season two, and I was like, season three, season three, and it hadn't come out yet, and I had to wait months for it to come on TV, and then we could only watch one episode a week, a week. And then there was like the break for the middle of the season until it came back. We used to think in those kinds of categories. Now we live in now, where we have access to everything all the time. And many of us fall into a relationship with God where he ceases to be somebody who personally relates to us, somebody who we have an active relationship with, and he becomes, in our thinking, a mechanism, a force, a construct in our lives that is supposed to do his job if we do our job. The Lord is not Delmarva Power, right? It doesn't work like that. He doesn't just give because we do something. There is a relationship there. We are relating to a God who is a person. There are instances in Scripture, one in, of which I, I think is particularly notable. I tend to miss this when I think about the walking on the water. The scriptures say in, in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus sent his disciples out on a boat and they were rowing and they were crossing over. He remained behind. Still not exactly sure why he sent them on. Maybe he's like, I'll row myself over later, right? Um, but he goes up to the mountain to pray. And while he's, while he's praying and communing, he then comes down and he begins to walk on the water. And his disciples see him and they cry out, it's a ghost, right? And the scriptures then say in verse 48 of Mark chapter 6, it's there in the scriptures. You can check it, Mark 6.48. It says, he meant to pass by them. They were, they were within you know, shouting distance of Jesus. They were seeing him and they were experiencing this. Is this a ghost? Are we going to die? We need Jesus. But he kept on moving. And we might think that's not what's supposed to happen there. He's supposed to come and rescue them and, and be there for them. And they have to cry out for him to draw him to them. Does that make sense? Right? That's, that's what happens in that passage of Scripture. As believers, we may experience times of loneliness. We may experience seasons of dryness or doubt or times where we realize what what happened where 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 did god go where where did my joy go where did my comfort go where did my excitement where did my connection go and i would say this it's a subject that is complex and it is difficult and it is sometimes distressing. But when we look at this in 
view of, of what the scriptures have to say, I would say this. If we are prepared and we are ready, then we will know what to do when we suddenly find ourselves alone instead of panicking. God can withdraw from us at times. And I'll, I'll clarify what I mean uh, in, in just a moment. But, but there are times where we can feel in a season that we are not under the influence of his spirit, the, the energy or excitement or the drive or the lift or the whatever it is that we feel when we're in close connection with the Lord is just not there. And our spirit feels lazy and our relationship with God feels cold. There are times when we look at our circumstances and we say, God does not seem to be active or leading or, or guiding, and his favor doesn't seem to be evident. And that's what we, we sing about in the song, where it says, when darkness seems to hide his face. The song has this storm motif, where we're being tossed, and we're, we're wondering, and we're nervous about, about our future, because where is God? Now, I would say this, before we move on, and, and clarify exactly what I think is going on in these seasons. I would say this. The scriptures say that God is just in all that he does. It says that he is always good. That he always does right. And that all things that he does for the believer work out for their good. Okay? And so that is a foundational principle that we believe. And so we believe that God is just in all that he does even when he withdraws from us. But think about our tendency with regard to the relationship that we have with the God who made us. We always leave God before he leaves us, don't we? We leave close communion with him in order to pursue something else. We're, we're, we're excited about what we have with the Lord, but then something else attracts us or draws us away. We consider and leave behind the truth of God's word at times, and we wander off into all kinds of, of sinful behavior, all kinds of false truth that, 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 that feel better for a time, and we are drawn off course. We fail to show up on a regular basis and to confess our sins to the Lord or to read the word and to absorb its truth. We, we leave the guidance of the word aside and we say, I know God's word says this, but right now this feels right. And, and we do what's contrary to his will. We're led astray by the desires of our heart. And because we desert God First, when we look around and don't see or feel him, many times we have no one to blame but ourselves. Now, when I talk about being alone or being rejected by God or him withdrawing from us, feeling rejected, I am not talking about a complete rejection. Uh, we tend to think, as, as Christians in 21st century America, we tend to think that, that we put our faith and trust in Christ, right? And we are secure in him, and that is true. But then we think that there will be no need, A.W. Tozer says, to continue to pursue God. We think that because we have salvation, we will have continuous experience of his presence in our lives. 
We think that, that because uh, we, we have the security of a vow from God that we are his children, that we have no need to abide in him. Now, if you have ever been in a love relationship with someone, if you've ever been married, right, you know the way this works, right? You just say I do and get married and you never need to talk to this person ever again in order to keep your relationship right, right? You just, just keep buying the same card and giving the same gift year after year after year and everything will be fine, right? No, no relationship works this way. They must be maintained. But God, when he gives his word, when he makes a promise to us, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. And so when we put our faith and trust in Christ and we say, I need a savior, please forgive me, give me your righteousness, and God gives us those things, he will not withdraw them from us. He will not take them back. And I think this, the sadness is that many of us view our relationship with God this way. We think, as long as I don't lose my salvation, everything's good. As long as I make it in the end, as long as I get to heaven, everything's fine. But we've been created for more than just signing a contract and receiving a service from God. We've been created to cultivate a relationship with him and pursue him. There come times when God brings difficulty in the form of his absence into our life. And we may feel that we are being victimized by the fact that he is gone. Job expresses this about his own condition. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Suddenly, his circumstances have shifted to the place where he is now far from God, and, and he feels that God has wandered on and left him behind and has wronged him and attacked him. He's having an agony of, 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 of being alone. I think that in large part, as believers, we are able nowadays to cruise on and not feel the absence of God, not, not notice the lack of his active presence for a long time because we have these devices, we have this constant news stream, we have endless entertainment that comes to us, and we feed ourselves on things like Facebook, right, and Snapchat, and uh, uh, Netflix, and we're constantly feeding ourselves entertainment to fill up this absence that we feel, and we don't realize that we're just endlessly throwing stuff in there, and we never feel full, because we're not filling ourselves with the right thing. And so it takes a long time for us to notice that we have been left behind. We suddenly become aware of this condition, and now we're, we're angry at ourselves, or we're angry at God, and we say, hey, what happened? We had a deal. Where did you go? The good news is this. When we experience this feeling of abandonment for whatever reason, it is possible to recover. Thomas Watson says, where there are no stars, if we have light and a compass, 
we can get back on course. Uh, it's been an interesting experience at, at times to get on a plane uh, in the midst of violent weather, right? Dark, rainy, you know, just difficult ex experience on the ground. You know, you look out the window and you're like, man, the rain is really coming down and, and it is overcast and it is dark. And to realize that the pilots in the cockpit know what they're doing. You know, and they've got their instruments to guide them, even if circumstances around them don't appear to be good. The control tower is saying, you're good, you can take off. And as you, you lift off from the ground and you begin to ascend, right, to 10,000 feet, at some point you break through the clouds. And what was going on underneath the clouds looks nothing like what's going on above the clouds and suddenly you're up above and everything's great up there and you're like the sun is shining like look at this it's amazing up here you know and all that weather just gets left behind if we know the truth about what's going on in our lives when we recognize God's absence we will say I know he's just over the ridge I know he is, he is just a little further on down the road, and I need to press on, right? What, is, what does the song say, this, this poetic truth expressed by a person who's experienced abandonment or a loneliness? When darkness seems to hide his face, I trust in his unchanging grace. So here are some truths about times when we are alone. First, it is only the children of God who are capable of feeling like God has left them. The Lord cannot be said to withdraw his presence or his love or his affection from someone who never had it. He says this, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, God does not withdraw permanently. He does not abandon. There are many who come to God and what they want is some kind of insurance policy against um, their health failing or they, they want to preserve their finances or they want to make sure that they've got friends who will help them be successful or that they're connected to a community that's around. And there's all kinds of things that, that people who are out in the world want for themselves. But the true Christian comes to the Lord and says, I am out of your favor and I need for that relationship to be restored. Give me Jesus. Give me his righteousness. And what is desired is reunion with God. A relationship with him. And only the believer craves that. Think about it. You may say, God is distant, and I feel like he has abandoned me and left me alone. But how can you feel that unless you knew what it was like to know his presence? Only the children of God are capable of truly feeling this kind of abandonment. Second, there, there may be the seed of grace where the flower is not present. Okay, God's grace may be Present. You may experience his presence, but you might not be experiencing the blessing of God in your circumstances. 
You might not be feeling it as it's happening in real time, and the root is there, right? Imagine if all of the farmers every season went out into their fields and threw a bunch of seed on the ground and a bunch of fertilizer and then doused it with water and then came out the next day and said, well, that didn't work, and they dug up their fields and planted more seed. And then they came out the next day and said, well, that didn't work, right? And they dug up their fields and they planted. Like, you got to wait. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch. We may have God's presence and salvation within us, and outside our circumstances are difficult. When our circumstances are troubling to us, we may cry out in fear and worry and alarm. But we need to make sure that we don't trust only in our circumstances, but that we trust in God's character, that we trust in his promises. Thomas Watson points out that St. Augustine, analyzing Psalm 51, says this, David, when he sinned and he repented, he said to the Lord, take not your spirit from me, right? This is, this is something that we see. David feared the madness that came upon Saul as the spirit departed from Saul and an evil spirit came from the Lord to torment Saul, David cries out, do not take your spirit from me. What David doesn't pray is, Lord, give me back your spirit. He prays in fear that God might remove it and withdraw it, but he does not say it is gone. In the middle of his difficult circumstances surrounding him, he feels that he is abandoned by God, but he knows that he has the Lord's Spirit within him. Third, loneliness is just for a time. Loneliness is just for a time. Remember, God is a person. And when we interact with him, we must understand that in our circumstances and in our moments, we are experiencing God as a person with whom we have a relationship. We read the scriptures and we see that God goes through seasons in relation to us. Now, he himself does not change. His emotions are constant and, and steady. He doesn't suddenly up in heaven say, that makes me angry. No, when our behavior and circumstances change, God treats us differently. He disciplines us as his children. But look at what the scriptures say about the way that God works. In Isaiah 54, verse 8, in overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. We may have the experience where something we do breaks our fellowship with God. But our relationship with God means that he will return. That he will have compassion Isaiah 57, verse 16, I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. God says here that, that he can be angry and display that in the life of those whom he loves, but then he will restore compassion. He will not always be angry. Psalm 30, verse 4, says this about celebrating 
God and his character. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Okay, that's, that's the start. Praise God, sing praise to his holy name. Now look at what he follows this up with. Most evangelical songwriters, most people who write church music would not do this. This is not the, the next move for them, right? Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. Praise God. Why? Because when he gets angry, it's like, it's like that. It, it only lasts a little bit of time. No, we'd write songs like, you're never angry, ever, right? That's the way that we want to think. We're like, everything's going to be good and free coffee all the time. That's the way we would write praise songs. It says, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. We're like, no, 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 give me a pen. Take, that, take the weeping line out. No, no, let's write, you've turned my weeping into dancing. Let's sing that. That's better, right? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Fourth truth is this. God would not allow us. He would not introduce experiences and periods of time where we feel alone and disconnected from him if they were not for our good. Why? Because all things work together for our good. Everything that happens to us works out for our good. That's what the scriptures say. That means that everything that happens, we must be able to, to say, let's just keep looking and searching until we find a reason why this is good and it benefits our soul. We just think, no, you turned off my Wi-Fi, right? You know, you disconnected me. You must be evil. When in fact, you know, disconnecting from the Wi-Fi for a while is actually good for you. You might take a walk. Desertion accomplishes good. That was more of a cultural comment, not a like, you know, God is like Wi-Fi comment. Anyway, um, how, how can these periods of loneliness accomplish good? One, they wake us up in times of laziness. If the reason that we have disconnected from God is that, is that we have become lazy about our relationship with him, we're just kind of coasting, realizing that we are not having an active connection with him wakes us up, right? Not paying attention, not keeping track of mom, right, in the mall, and then suddenly you realize that she's not there, does what? Sends you into this, like, must-find-mom mode, Right? You know, when we, when we realize the Lord is, is not, I'm just not, I'm not experiencing, I'm not feeling it. We, we say, wait, what, where, what's going on? And we, we, we wake up. Second, these periods cure our imbalance with regard to love for the world. It's very easy. It's very easy to fall in love with things like ice cream and air conditioning, right? Because they provide us with immediate comfort and pleasure. But more important things that are difficult, like cultivating a close relationship with God, that's, that's a little more difficult, right? Than buying ice cream, because it's right there, you know? And, and right now, I'm in this season where I just, I go to the supermarket and I look at the Halo Top ice cream, you know? It's got the, the calories in each pint printed right on the front, and I'm like, I just, I'd look for all the 280s. That's the lowest number, I think. You know, there's the 
320s and the others. And I'm just like, ice cream. I can eat any of this that I want as much as I want. But this, 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 this. That's easy. Repenting and dealing with the junk that's going on in my soul and, and saying, where have I gone astray? And where have I neglected my relationship with the Lord? That's hard. That requires hard work. I need to face ugly truths about myself. But suddenly realizing that the Lord has moved on. That, that he has continued to walk forward and I have stayed in place. And he's like, come on, come on, let's keep going. That suddenly says, I've, I've grown too comfortable in my affection for the world. We satisfy ourselves with earthly things and so we have no desire or appetite for heavenly things. When God hides his face, we learn to cherish it because it's suddenly not immediately accessible to us anymore. They say that familiarity breeds contempt. The constant presence of certain people in your life weakens your esteem of them sometimes, doesn't it? It weakens how, how much you appreciate and love them. You don't realize what a coworker does around the office until they go on vacation and suddenly you have to fulfill their responsibilities, right? You know, you don't realize how much you appreciate and enjoy your children until you spend a week or two weeks or three weeks out of the country separated from them and suddenly you're like, where did all the affection and all of the fun and all of the, where did all that go, right? You're like, I don't wanna go home and see my family. I miss them. I remember when I was in grad school, near, very close to the end, very, very close to the end, I just had to, I had to finish things out and Nancy said, I'm gonna take the kids and I'm going to go to New Jersey and visit family, and you can get all this stuff done. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that'll be good. I'll be able to focus. You know, they were gone for like, I think, 15 hours, and I was walking from the kitchen to my office, and I stepped on some toy, and it squeaked, and all of a sudden, Eric Carmen's song, you know, All By Myself starts to play in my head, and I'm just like, why did they go? You know, where are they? And I call Nancy, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, you know. What did it take for that realization? This is true. We've talked about this many, many times. Yeah. Can you honestly say, with the writer of Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Can you... Can, can you honestly say that that is the way that you feel about your relationship with God at all times? That it is better than life? You know what cultivates that appreciation in us? When we experience difficulty and pain and separation and then there is recovery and we say, this is good, I need to hold fast to this. This is good. Withdrawal makes us crave return. Right? Have you ever had one of those nights where you can't sleep and anxiety is on you and you are worried and you are frustrated and all you want is for the sun to come up? And it, it comes up and you're like, okay, things are, things are better now. Darkness makes us crave the sun. 
God's withdrawal makes us hate sin. If sin makes God hide his face at times, then we will learn to hate our sin. Sins break our fellowship, not necessarily our relationship. We immediately go there when there's difficulty. We ask questions like, you know, was I ever saved? Has God abandoned me? Is this real? We don't think often, maybe we do, this is just, you know, the, the patterns perhaps that, that, that I experience in, my, in myself. I, I have to think about it and then to think, oh, wait a minute, I left off doing this or I've left off staying close to God in his word, or I've left off praying, or I have, I have failed to maintain good standards in this area of my life, and slowly but surely I have missed the fact that God has moved on. When my sins separate me from my family, when my self-focus means that I hurt the members of my family, I learn to hate my sin. And the same is true of our relationship with the Lord. When we drive the presence of the Lord out, when we, as the scriptures say, quench the spirit, when we, when we drive him away and we realize that we learn to hate the behaviors that drive him away. We mourn our loss of connection with God and we lo long for him to return times of difficulty set us to say, you know what, I've, I've camped too long in one place. I need to get up. I need to move. I need to go and find out what happened, where the Lord went. Lamentations 340. Think about this. That book is written in the middle of the destruction of Israel. Their city is laid waste. The people are trying to figure out what happened. How did everything go wrong? Our, our city is destroyed. Our nation is gone. And the writer says this in the middle of the book. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. You know, when they didn't think that, when everything was great and they were worshiping idols and there was money flowing everywhere and they were the richest of nations, when, when they, were, they had amazing benefits and blessings and pleasure coming to them. They didn't think that. They thought, God's pleased with us. Everything's destroyed. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's examine how we got here and then return to the Lord. When we experience loneliness or withdrawal or desertion, we pray, we ask, we plead, and we pursue and seek him. God's withdrawal sets us to think and answer questions. Why did this happen? Is it my neglect? Is it my anger? Is it my worldliness? What is it that has gone wrong? You know what happens at my house when it rains really, really, really hard, right? The water comes over the front of the gutters. It comes over the front, right? Like it pours out of the gutter. It's supposed to go like down the gutter and come out the pipe, right? And then, and then it comes out that cool little green thing that I've installed there, you know, to like divert the water away from the foundation of my home. Why is that? Why, why is the water not coming? I gotta get up there on a ladder and I gotta go go dig and see what's in there. You know what's in there? There's, there's dirt in there. There's leaves in there. Right? But there are also lacrosse balls, tennis balls, koosh balls, matchbox cars, and drumsticks up there. I did pull a drumstick out there. I think it's been there for quite a while, a number of years. 
Sin clogs the pipe. It gets in the downspout and the water doesn't flow. Self-centeredness, worldliness, self-absorption clog the pipe. And then suddenly things aren't flowing well and we're like, what is up there? You know that a tennis ball sits right on top of the downspout in such a way that it renders it almost completely ineffective. <laughs> and there are six downspouts in my house and I found more than six balls up there. Yeah, okay, so I should be cleaning my gutters every year, okay? That's like, that's the, the real lesson here, because anyway, we need to go back and to pursue and ask questions and say, why is it so? Okay, another benefit of suffering this withdrawal, okay, we're getting closer, we're getting closer to, um, to, to being back again, to being reconnected with the Lord. It shows us what Christ did for us. The scriptures say in Matthew chapter 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? When we experience these times of, of loneliness and withdrawal and, and we experience the fact that we are disconnected from Christ and then we balance it with the truth that we have the map and the road back. If we repent and return to the Lord, if we seek the, the reason why he has moved on, why he has withdrawn, if we say, I need to repent of this sin, or I need to discipline myself to pursue him, or I need to pursue the Lord with love, or I need to, to learn his commandments and his ways, I need to keep short lists with regard to my sins, I need to memorize more of the word of God so I know his character, I need to pursue, when we, when we have that map, and we realize that we will never truly be abandoned or forsaken, and then we look at our Savior suffering on the cross and crying out that he was abandoned, we have a rich, deep appreciation for exactly what our salvation cost. He became sin for us on the cross. Jesus becomes the object of the wrath and hatred and punishment of God. And we can say to him, I am thankful that I will never experience that. And that gratitude does what? Motivates us to stay where we are and to be lazy and to continue in sin? No, it, it, it drives us to say, I am going to get as far away from this place as I can. And I'm going to head in the direction of the Lord. I'm going to pursue him. Abandonment also prepares us for comfort. 2 Corinthians 7.6 says that God comforts the downcast. First, in the wilderness, there was hunger. Jesus was tempted and tried, and he struggled for 40 days, right? And then what happened? Then the angels came to him and ministered to him and cared for him and fed him. First, the loneliness. Then, the restoration of communion with God. Listen to the way Psalm 97 puts this in verse 11. It says, Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Goodness 
can come to us in seed form. Right? Sometimes people show up in church and they're like, I think that they come for a, for a blessing. You know, they come for a word from God and they hear a sermon about whatever. You know, maybe this morning is your first time here and you're like, whoa, what's all this loneliness talk? Like, this is crazy. I expected it to be like, life's good. Well, life is good. But, but sometimes we need to take some seed and we need to put it in the barn, you know? And we need to save it up and be ready for difficult times in the future. The scriptures say here that, that light is sown for the upright. In, or that, that light, light is, is sown, joy for the righteous, that joy is sown for the upright in heart. There are times where we receive words, we receive the intentions and the thoughts of God's heart, and we, we have to store them up for time in the future. Because there are things that we need to change. There are things that we need to alter about our circumstances in order to get back into good fellowship with God. I want to draw this to a close with uh, uh, three bits of advice and uh, an example from Scripture. One, if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, if, if, if you're saying, I don't experience the presence of God, the scriptures teach that we are born separated from him and that apart from putting faith and trust in Christ as a savior, we have no spiritual life. We have, we have not yet been restored to fellowship with him and we need that connection. We need our sins canceled out. We need the spirit living within us. And so if there is this feeling of I am alone and I do not experience the joy of the Lord, why it is because you are alienated from him. And so the encouragement would be to put your faith and trust in Christ. If you are a Christian and you are experiencing a time of difficulty or separation, I would say this. Reading as much from the experience of believers in the word Know that these times and these difficulties come into the lives of believers and they are not always because we have done something wrong. Sometimes they are there to mature us. The Bible says that God disciplines every son that he loves. Not every son that's done something wrong. And that discipline comes from the Lord into our lives. And so I would say dig deep into the stories, the accounts of scripture to look for reasons and try to relate to them. Why was Job suffering and feeling abandoned? Because the Lord was doing something in his life, right? We, we read the book of Job and we're like, Job, just persevere. Just don't deny the Lord. Like, that's exactly what's, what's, what's going on there. But, but Job doesn't know that, right? Joseph was separated from his family and he felt that God had abandoned him in some sense and left him behind all those years in Egypt. Why? It took until he was confronted with his brothers and he had the opportunity to punish them and he realized that he needed to show them mercy. It took that long for him to realize that God sent him ahead to preserve the entire family alive. Up until that point, he was probably thinking, 
my life has just been ruined. Why did God do this to me? He held faithful to him, but he had no explanation or understanding of why the difficult circumstances. Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest person who ever lived. Right? There is a, a time when John sends his disciples to Jesus, and when they go away, Jesus says, there's no one greater than him. No one. No one greater than John. So think about this. John is the greatest human being, right? The greatest. Jesus is the greatest human being. Okay. He's also 100% God and 100% man. But think about this. John is in prison. He is, he is struggling. He will likely die, right? That's what he's thinking. And he does die. But he's in a prison cell, and he spent all of his energy and all of his uh, waking moments, he spent all of his time proclaiming the coming of the Lord, proclaiming that the Lord would come and that he would make all things right, and he's jailed for preaching righteousness, and he sent people to go follow Jesus, and then Jesus isn't quite doing what he thinks is supposed to happen and John is in despair and he's alone in a prison cell and he sends word to Jesus and says are you the one who we're expecting or should we wait for someone else right this is the greatest the, the greatest of the Lord's servants who's struggling with this feeling of have I been left alone and abandoned you know what shocks me even more about that story? I mean, one, I think it's reassuring to know that, that, that the people who love the Lord and people who follow closely to him, it, it is reassuring to know that they can go through times of great difficulty and not fail and fall and that the Lord still loves them. But even more shocking than that is the fact that Jesus does not give him an answer. Jesus doesn't tell John, yeah, it's me, don't worry about it. He says, go tell John what you see. The lame walk, the blind see, and blessed is the one who's not ashamed of me. He tells John, don't, don't doubt, don't cave, don't give up, persevere in faith. In the middle of a time where he feels abandoned. You may find yourself in a season of darkness and difficulty and struggle, but this is the encouragement that I would give to you. God says in his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he says that all things work together for good to those who are called, which means this. You may feel alone. You may feel abandoned. You may feel that your circumstances are too much. They are beyond your control, and they are evidence of a lack of God's love or faithfulness toward you, to which I would say this. Persevere in faith. Trust in his goodness. Analyze your circumstances and say, at what point did we, did we get off track with one another and pursue him? Because he is there and he will be faithful to you. And I believe you will look back at the past and you will look at the difficult circumstances and you will see how he carried you through. You will see how he brought you through. They say it's always darkest before the dawn. 
right? But light comes. It comes. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. He will never leave us or forsake us. And so receive these times of difficulty with joy, understanding that they are for your good and persevere through them. I'm going to stop right there because I think that if I say any more, I could make a mess of it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you acknowledging that there are times when we walk away from you. There are times when we abandon the truth. There are times when we're drawn off, deceived by the world. There are times when we don't even realize it, but we just get lazy and we turn and we look and you don't seem to be close anymore. And that causes us to panic. It causes us to question your goodness and your kindness and, and your, your good intent. But Father, I pray that, that by faith we would believe the truth of Scripture that says you will never leave us or forsake us. You will not abandon us. You will not break your covenant. You will stay with us. And that we would, in the midst of each and every difficult situation, by faith say, I will return to the Lord. And that we would go and find you. The scriptures say that we will seek you and find you when we seek you with all of our heart. And so, Father, I pray that we would be quick to recognize our loneliness and quick to recognize how we have fallen away from you and quick to rise and quick to return to you, Lord. We pray that you would build us up in our faith. Strengthen our connection with you, Father. Help us to trust in your goodness always. I pray if there's someone here who doesn't know the Lord, somebody who doesn't know your goodness, I pray they would put their faith and trust in you and that you would give them the assurance that you have forgiven their sins. Lord, we pray this by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together. Thank you.